Hello, everybody, and welcome to Molly Movie Club. I'm Casey Muratori. I'm Anna Ripberg. And this is the third movie. Second movie? Third movie. Third movie. Right, because Batman Returns. That was literally last week. It was last week. Uh, I Well, my problem is that I always get confused because I've looked at the most recent Molly Movie Club post, mm-hmm. and for some reason, sometimes I think that's what we're doing. It's like, obviously, we already did that one <laughs> because it's posted. It's like, yep. so we are on the third movie of Crispy, Mo- Chris- Crispy, Crispy Month. Crispy Month. <laughs> we are on the third movie of Christmas Month, and it is Klaus, the Netflix original production one of the few animated original movies that they made that it seems like people know about. Was this movie popular? I have no I idea. Know. What I will say is that when it was originally sort of promoted by the team, uh, before they signed the Netflix deal, they put up a little short yeah. with the postman Going and like getting snow dumped on his head, like there was a, do- a scene it. with yeah. a door, yep. right? Yep. Uh, that is all they really had, uh, right? Which and is just them were... kind of showing off the the kind of visual style of yes, which, which is completely unique and and uh, yes, no one has done this sort of visual style in animation before. It's basically two D that's been shaded to look like three D, yep, for lack of a better term, and. It's not really even – it's not the way we might think of that in game development. It's actually just kind of hand-painted. Yeah. But it's using tools to make the hand-painting faster. So mm-hmm. it basically, like, tracks the movement of cells to a certain degree so that you don't have to paint every cell. Mm-hmm. But it's basically like just someone goes in and paints this thing as if they were shading a 3D model by hand. It's not really like – Oh, the computer's doing lighting on this thing. It's not that. Yeah, I mean, it's... And it looks really cool when you see really it. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's it's very much a 2D hand-drawn animated film. There's some th- shots that are th- use 3D. Sure. Um, much like a 2D, old 2D Disney movie. Right, like and, in and it's a Beauty lot Beauty and the Beast or something. It's a lot less noticeable you know. in this movie because yes. the the sort of coloring style yeah. is so uh, sort of 3D Yes, the, the actual 3D blends in quite nicely because everything kind of looks 3D all yeah. the time. But, I mean, the thing, um, that, the thing that it really allows for that 3D animation doesn't is the sort of exaggerated movements that, that we're used to with 2D animation, especially American 2D animation, that sort of yes. the extreme, like, squash and stretch. And that's uh, really the most notable thing about this film yeah. is that if you have been used to watching Pixar, Disney, DreamWorks animated stuff, when you see this movie... At least for those of us who always thought 3D was kind of crappy, which is me, this is just a tremendous breath of fresh air visually. Mm -hmm. All of those same things that we no longer get because all the shapes have to really exist in 3D and the tools seem bad at letting you break profile a lot. You know, the tools that that are used in the pipelines of major animation Mm -hmm. studios that do 3D animation – all of the stuff I loved about 2D animation is back in this film. Yep. And frankly, it's like what I want to see. I yeah. I would vastly prefer this was the process used at places like Disney Pixar because for, like I just – when I watch their stuff, even though they've got their rendering tech really good now mm-hmm. where, you know, you – 
you watch Frozen 2 or whatever and it it looks the lighting looks very convincing now compared to what it used to look mm-hmm. like much better global you know much better GI much better materialing all that stuff everything just still looks crappy to me shape wise it's just boring they all all the characters look the same there's not much deformation to them it's just it's just unengaging and uninspiring to me yeah i mean i i've never been a huge fan of 3d animation i mean i i like animation at the end of the day so i i I don't hate it or something, but yeah. I am at my heart like a 2D animation fan. Me too. That's what I grew up watching, and that's, I mean, that's one, it's what made me want to draw. I mean, I always loved 2D animation and I actually wanted to do 2D animation, but by the time I was, you know, going to college or whatever, like, it was kind of done. Yeah. So, yeah, it, for for me, I agree, like, this movie is, is like a breath of fresh air. It's so nice to see. You know, it's funny, we were watching Lightyear. The other day, which we won't go down that rabbit hole, but I, I was in terms of looking at the visuals of it, it was almost entering this like uncanny valley kind Absolutely. of thing where it had gotten so realistic, but you kind of have these stylized people that are just slightly stylized, especially in their faces, and it just looks like off yep. to me. And I and I think something like Klaus is doing a much better job of being stylized and pushing the character designs farther away from reality and uh even though the lighting style is more realistic well so if i if i may since we're kind of doing a little bit of a of a animation retrospective here yeah we're kind of going down a little bit of a rabbit hole we promise we'll get to the movie in a moment yeah well but i think it's one of the most important things about this movie is that visual style early pixar films the very first ones you know, to some extent, because humans are very hard to do because of the uncanny valley, because they're a lot more complicated mm-hmm. uh, than something like a toy. Well, and our and our brains right? are wired, Speci- especially to, wired to like know what humans look like, and right? To pick up on all the subtle facial features exactly. and movements and all that stuff. Like we know when things are not quite right. We do. Well, that's what the uncanny valley is. Exactly. Exactly. It, like yeah. you don't usually have that feeling of uncanny valley with something like a toy. If it's, or, a, you know, you know, or an animal, um, like you'll see animals in animation yeah. often, like horses are a, a big one yeah. that are often just like not quite right, it doesn't but really it doesn't feel you. the same kind of way as like a face that's not quite right. Exactly. So, you know, there's a little bit of that in their early decision making, but also just in general, they made really good decisions about focusing the anime, the story, the animation, mm-hmm. what was actually happening on things that were realistic things we don't normally portray, like bugs, toys, whatever, cars, cars yeah. monsters, things that we wouldn't normally see, yeah, and bringing them to life using 3D animation so that it feels like they are now real in the real world. Toy Story is probably the best call for what you would want to animate with 3D, right? Yeah, because they, now they are like stiff looking kind the, of they it now it feels like these things that are actually exist in the real world are now animate, which is the perfect thing yeah. for 3D animation. Yeah. Because people tend to naturally default to stories about humans, it's just something that you would by default do if you aren't really thinking very hard about what you're doing. Yeah. Now, Pixar Disney makes mostly movies about people. And the problem with that is that it's not very interesting to render 
pseudo-realistic 3D people and have them do stuff. You just put an actor in there. It, it just There's not very much that 3D animation brings to this with the current tech that we use for 3D animation. Why? Because it's mostly made to animate things irrespective of the facing direction, the, view, the direction that the camera's looking at them. So what 2D animation is so great at is stories about humans, to me. Yeah. Because since the animators don't have to worry about the facing direction, they just draw the, the, the head-on thing you're looking at, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. They can bring this crazy, weird way of drawing humans that can't possibly, you couldn't rotate it. It wouldn't work, yes, right? Yes, it's, yeah. The, the rotation of the thing is a lie. When the characters turn, they don't turn in a way that actually would work in 3D. Right. It's a complete lie. The nose will change shape, but it's mm-hmm. it looks good, right? Mm-hmm. It, it looks yeah. pleasing to the eye, even though it is not true, right? Yes. And 3D so far has really failed at doing that. As a result, for me... I love watching 2D animations about humans Mm -hmm. and don't really like watching 3D animation about humans. Whereas I'm fine with watching 3D animation about toys because that – it is doing something interesting with the art. It's it's making you believe that these real toys started to come to life. Well, it's interesting too when you mention – like the you know a bunch of the, the Pixar movies like of the older ones that aren't about people is that the the designs are actually more extreme like Monsters Inc is a great example yes. like Mike Wazowski and Sully yeah, yeah. are like really exaggerated shapes and it just works really well and it's as if those things now exist in the real world which is what the 3D tangible unexaggerated right. thing is doing because you're right. taking an exaggerated shape but then not exaggerating it anymore like leaving it as it is, mm-hmm. and then we treat it as if it were real in mm-hmm. the you know in in space. Yeah. yeah, and so that has a certain thing that you can do that's good with it. It's why I liked the early Pixar movies. I mean, also because the writing was better, certainly. Yeah, <laughs> but now mostly what Disney Pixar do is they have this weird like one doll face head that all characters have, and they just like they just animate stories that probably would have been better with actors, and that's basically it. And it's just not interesting. You look at something like Well, it Klaus. also seems like there's a push for realism. There's a push toward realism. I mean, that was really evident in Lightyear. And also um, yep. in the in the realistic scenes of Soul. Yep. As good as the realistic parts of Soul looked, they would have looked ten times better if that was just a hand-drawn 2D. Like, those, I know those characters would have looked awesome. Oh, those characters were meant to be in... They were meant tell, to be. You can tell they were designed in 2D by, you know, people drawing them on paper. Yeah. But. And and so I just feel like it's this tremendous waste of effort. And, like, it's fine if they want to do it. I don't mind. But it's just not for me. And then when I go see something like Klaus, I'm like, yes, this is the thing that actually interests me about animation. It's, these, it's this ability for the, for the artist to feel free on any frame to draw whatever they want, regardless of what was on the previous frame. Mm-hmm. They can... As long as it creates a pleasing 2D profile that evolves over time, there's no requirement that this thing ever made sense in a three-dimensional mesh shape thing. Mm-hmm. Like, we never had to think about that. Yeah. And freeing the artist from having that constraint and that pipeline of dials, you know, if you ever look at how these things are animated in 3D, it's all these, you rig models first and then you animate them separately. 
2D animation isn't like that. 2D animation lets you basically say, I can pull this thing around however I want, whenever I want. There isn't a limited set of controls on my animation ability. That, to me, is what what you need to get this kind of effect. And Klaus demonstrates it perfectly. There's so many great shots in this movie that take advantage of that, and I love it. Yeah, they really take advantage of the 2D-ness of the movie. I mean, it's a very, very cartoonish very. movie um, where they really exaggerate everything. And it works really well. I think one more thing I would say about 2D versus 3D. I always feel like the emotion conveyed in the characters and the expressions and the in the movement and the acting, it, to me, and I mean, this is probably just, well, the way my brain works because I obviously love drawing. Yeah. But... I, I it really comes through to me so much more than it does in 3D. Mm-hmm. I can feel the artist putting themselves into it, putting their emotions into it, it coming through the character. Yes. I can feel that. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's just me reading into it. But that's always been true for me with 2D versus 3D. You can always feel that little extra bit of life in it because someone is literally putting marks on a page. There's like this connection there between a person and what they're putting down that's, to me, is just amazing and what makes drawing so magical, right? That is, to me, the real magic of 2D animation. It also, it's, again, it just frees the artist. It's a different process. In 3D, what you're fundamentally asking is to separate the two parts of the process. The riggers for the 3D models have to figure out all the ways you might want to get an uh, emotion out of a character uh, beforehand. And then the people doing the animation have to search through that space mm-hmm. created it's a totally by a separate person. It's a totally different process. Right? Yeah. So instead of you having this innate connection, because a great 2D artist just has this innate connection between the shape of lines and the emotions they produce. Their brain is trained up on that. Mm-hmm. And there really isn't a lot of ways to train up on the emotion of searching through some space someone else created. It's much harder to see how that connects. And I think I think it's a much less expressive way of doing things. And it shows to me. It mm-hmm. really does. So I think there's real procedural reasons why a person who can be free to pick up a pen – Draw, who, the, you know, whoever the key artist is for something on 2D animation, they can draw whatever they wanted on that cell. Yeah. And that just frees their mind to connect directly to their understanding of how lines create emotion. It doesn't have to go through this separate process. Yes, I totally so agree. To me, it's like it is actually a structural deficiency of 3D animation. That we could fix and hopefully someday will fix. Mm-hmm. You know, there's probably going to be a generation of 3D someday that will really, when the tools get a lot better than they are now, and if people start to recognize this, if if anyone agrees with me, right, mm-hmm. that there is a, a level of expressivity missing from this technology, there's not a lot of reasons we can't fix it. It's just it hasn't been the focus, right? The focus for a long time in 3D animation has been on better lighting, more fluid animation tools. For a long time, it was, you know, there was FKIK stuff. And there's all these things about how rigging works and how deformation works. There's all these underlying things that were struggles as they start to wrap up, which they're kind of getting to the point where, you know, those tools are fairly mature. 
you know, if the next generation turns out to be more about letting the animator have that expressivity back, we could fix this. But for now, there's our little animation, state of animation recap. <laughs> as we talk about Klaus, which is our first animated picture on this podcast. So, yeah, I feel like this movie... I, you know, when I first saw it a few mm-hmm. years ago, back when it came out, I think I was mostly just expecting it to be, like, visually pretty interesting, but otherwise not great. Because that's sort of how animated movies have been for the last, like, while, right? Yeah, it's I It's just not as much great as well. story-wise, yeah. but visually pretty fun. Uh, but I was, uh, we were, we were kind of wrong about that. The story in this movie is really excellent. Yes, um, and very emotional. Like, I cry multiple times in class. I've seen I think this might be like the third or fourth time I've seen this movie. And I still cry at two different points in the movie. It's a very touching story. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think is so remarkable about this story, it's it is getting those emotions out of visuals. So this is the thing that I I think is a hallmark that they did really good work on some of the writing. I I think there's some problems with it, but... It's not perfect. It's not perfect. Um, But a lot of those emotional... The scenes that have the emotional impact is not because a character said something. Mm -hmm. It's because you see something. You see an act uh, take place or an image. And I think that that is an indication that the people who wrote this also understood that this was an animated picture that's about visuals. So instead, you know, if you are doing something that's meant to feel more like a Shakespearean play or something like that, then you're going for emotional impact that comes out of the dialogue, out of the things people are saying and the way they're saying it. This movie understood that this is animated and it's supposed to look beautiful and interesting and so let's get the emotional impact out of what you see and so i feel like they did a good job with what you might call writing for visual Mm -hmm. writing for having those impact points be at at times when you see something and uh i think the best example of this in the story is up until the point where you uh, so the the postman Jesper is trying to convince Klaus to do uh to make toys to make toys again not to deliver them they've been delivering toys i'd say the clearest example of a really good visual emotional beat is in that scene Jesper accidentally he doesn't know takes a curtain down and reveals what in one shot, it's just you, the curtain comes away and you see it. It reveals exactly why Klaus is so sad. You haven't known. There's been no explanation up to that point in the film on why he's kind of like a miserable recluse, right? Mm-hmm. But they pull down the curtain and you just see a thing with him and a woman in toy form mm-hmm. at the top. And then a bunch of little empty slots. And just that, if you're paying attention, you're like, oh, God, like this guy had a wife and now she's gone. And that's probably where the kids were from. In my head, like all of that connects in just that one shot. It's so brilliant because it tells you it it visually tells you the entire situation, which is also it's just like he does explain it later. Much later. Yeah. Um, but you already know, like you already know exactly what's going on just from that visual moment. And so does Jesper, right? Like he also 
realizes. And like, it's just, it's an, it's a fantastic emotional moment for both characters. This is what I'm always bagging on Disney for. And, you know, at one of these points, we should probably do, you know, like movies with horrible preambles or like movies that <laughs> over explain. I don't know what you want to call it, but I'm always bagging on Disney for this. Pretty much all these Disney movies nowadays completely deflate their entire emotional impact to the extent that they were going to have any anyway by over explaining all of the information that you need for the entire movie. This is the perfect example of flipping that around, which is how it should be done. You don't start the movie with a dialogue that's like, once upon a time, there was a toy maker who, you know, was happy and lived with his wife, but then she died and then, right? You save that. The audience wants to know when they see a reclusive character who's sad, they want to know what happened to this guy. Right. They want to know. Yeah, they're they were, curious. The mystery, the questions, those are the story. Like, that's yes. what the story is. When you start up front by just giving away all of the information about your character, you've completely, like, pulled out the rug from under yourself. And what happens, I'll use Frozen 2 because it's, it's the best example, uh, and it's right in the animated domain. It's an example of how to do everything wrong. They... Uh, they have to put all of that stuff up front because they don't know how to write the rest of the story either. So what happens is they do, you can see this, you go watch the Frozen 2 documentary, they do test screenings and nobody thinks the story is good. Mm -hmm. So to try and paper over that, they put a bunch of exposition up front to try and fill in all the stuff they didn't know how to tell because they're incompetent, basically. Yeah. This just ruins your entire emotional impact, the entire mystery of the story. It, it, it removes the magic from the story. Even when the story is about magic, it removes it, right? And it's just an incompetent mess. Klaus is a great example of how you do this right. Figure out how to tell the story without that exposition. And then let that be a mystery that when, it when the, the person finally sees the key mm -hmm. that unlocks what was actually happening that they didn't know mm -hmm. in their head, that's where you get that emotional punch. Yeah. I mean, I think it's right? also about trusting the viewer to understand. Like, this is something that actually we talked about with Hitchcock a bit, with Vertigo just a, a yes. few weeks ago, which is like, Klaus is a really nice example of a movie that, while it is quite, you know, clear about what it's saying, it trusts the viewer. Like, the, the scene you just talked about is a great example, where it's like he pulls back the curtain and he shows the the little the sculpture, right? And it's like, it's pretty explicit what that means, mm -hmm. but he doesn't just come out and say it, especially for a, you know, a, a, an all ages kind of film. Yeah. Um, it trusts that the viewer will understand what this means. And in, in doing so, it gives the, the movie so much more emotional impact because you are feeling what the character's feeling um, rather than just being told it, you're being shown it and you're feeling it. And they put – there is more explanation about what happened to them. They have a discussion later. Yeah. Well, and, so there and, is a pickup. If you yeah. if you didn't understand that scene, mm -hmm. there's a pickup later yeah. to make sure that you did. But that's the right order. Let the audience experience it first. And if you feel like you need some some support later because, you know, you don't think that, that everyone in the audience is going to get it, that's fine. Just put it in the other order. I, I would also say that scene later where Klaus – actually tells Jesper about what happened, I think is also totally necessary for yes. the story and their relationship because there's this this feeling of like tension between them mm -hmm. after that, 
where Jesper feels like maybe he's kind of like invaded something that he he's, he knows something he wasn't supposed to know. And Klaus actually just telling him is sort of like Klaus saying, like, I trust you. I forgive mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest with you about who I am. And that's it's about more than just, oh, here's some exposition about my life. It's like, no, this is really important moment for the two characters because it's telling you something about the level of trust that they now have in their relationship and how that's developed and deepened. Right. Right. So it's very clear that there's a reason why the audience is getting this information. It's not just shoved in there because they mm-hmm. wouldn't have known it and any it happens, other way. It happens at the right time, as you said. It happens at the right time, but also it happens in a conversation that it makes sense why the characters are having. Yes. And which does work for the story. It It's not just dead weight. It is an emotional exchange between Klaus and Jesper, not just something that had to be put in there or the audience wouldn't know about the wife or something, right? right? Which is the Disney version of that right. thing. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's Forced. trying to be expository yes. just for the sake of explaining something. It doesn't feel that way. So in addition to being very good at that sort of thing, mm-hmm. which uh, to be specific for what I mean by that sort of thing, we just talked about a bunch of stuff. The having visual impact, like emotional, the emotional visual impact Mm -hmm. be the key to it, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And there's a number of other examples of this. The school teacher being another great example and the uh, kids playing. When you start to see people getting along, um, like the kids, the two kids who are supposed to hate each other, they like bond over this little jumping frog toy. Yep. there, there's this school teacher who just like hates her life, and then one day, like there. In fact, we should talk about this scene because it's one of the most remarkable scenes I've ever seen. I uh, about teaching mm-hmm. in a movie. Mm-hmm. So it's largely visual, but it's yeah, it does have a little bit of speech in it. There's a scene where the teacher, the kids start going to class even though there is no school anymore, mm-hmm. because they want to learn to write letters so they can write letters to. Uh, get their toys. Yeah. Right. There's a bunch of kids who are like illiterate, basically, mm-hmm. and they can't write letters to Santa Claus because they don't know how to write them. Um, and of course, they can't ask their parents or their parents won't help them. So they're sitting in class and she's begrudgingly agreed to teach them something, even though she doesn't want to because she's totally burnt out because she tried to be a teacher when she first got here and no one came to class. So she just started selling fish. And she's saving money. She's saving money. Uh, to leave. Yeah. To, like, go somewhere else, right? To go <clears throat> start again, which is what Jesper wants to do as well, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, They're both just looking for ways out. A ways out. And there's a little girl who's, like, she teaches to write her name on the blackboard. We don't really see that, but we just see her in the process of writing her name on the blackboard. And the teacher could not care less. Mm-hmm. And the... Uh, little girl after successfully writing her name is so excited that she did that that she turns to the teacher and asks if she can learn something else and it just absolutely emotionally destroys the teacher Mm -hmm. because it's like she just she's so lost touch with whatever it is that she originally like why she wanted to be a teacher originally and you can see it's a great shot of the little girl it's animated beautifully and she looks so earnest when she looks up at the teacher. And you could just see the teacher just like totally is like, oh, my God, this is amazing. It's hilarious. I really tear up talking about this it's, movie. It's so good. Yeah. Because it captures something true about teaching. Most movies that feature teaching are full of shit. They 
teach it the they they pretend it's the other way around, which is that the teacher is the one who brings the magic to the children. Mm-hmm. That's almost never true. Yeah. This is the actual true thing that we kind of lost in education in a lot of ways, where it's like, it's the kids, they innately want to learn, actually, Mm -hmm. if you ever interacted with a child honestly. They love to now have a new ability, right? Um, It's what we base game development on, for Christ's sake. People love to master, kids love to master new things if they're presented to them honestly and in a way they understand. And so I felt like that was such a true moment about teaching. It felt very genuine to me. And it was presented in such an emotionally powerful scene that just flips it around on you. It's all of 30 seconds long. Yeah. It's just absolutely brilliant work. And that's really the visuals of this movie being fantastic the second thing this movie does absolutely perfectly is those emotional, visual emotional yeah. moments where they get so much out of very little dialogue, yeah. if any. Yeah, no, I think uh, another moment that, like, makes me cry is when Klaus comes back and he finds Jesper's fallen asleep trying to build this sled. Mm-hmm. And then, it's, sorry, I'm going to, like, cry talking about it. We'll edit out the tears in post. And Jesper wakes up and, and Klaus is there. And that's that's actually the first moment of forgiveness, right? Because if I remember correctly, that's after Jesper has discovered. Correct. Well, it's after the scene we just talked about. And so that's that's Klaus coming to say, like, I'm sorry, I forgive you. And man, it just, it's like, and that and then from there, that, that following that, uh, there's just like a bunch of moments that feel that way where you just like emotionally right on target and... Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, I cry, like, tears falling down my face, like, multiple times in this movie. It's just really, really effective. So before we talk about <clears throat> problems with the movie, uh, I guess I'd like to mention a little bit about the visuals because we talked about how we liked them so much. We haven't said that much about specifics. Yeah. I think I'd also like to just take a brief survey of, like, all the great stuff they do with the visuals in this mm, movie mm-hmm. just for visual sake. The... uh the the clans the mm-hmm. two warring clans of this town mm-hmm. their character design is just <laughs> i mean absolutely fantastic you have the, the the top hat guy and the like crotchety old lady um yeah they're so extreme and so exaggerated they have these they both have these huge these like son and daughter who's like just absolutely giant like gumdrop <laughs> shape yeah. they're the size when they're with the rest of the clan they're like the whole size of another clan yeah, basically huge. right uh and they just kind of lumber about and it again with no regard for 3d you just get this great like fluid flow of well, these and, huge and characters and they're not concerned with realism in like the sense that there's no way these people are this large right yeah, or yeah. or this small or this thin or yeah. this it's like or if their feet can even move because it right, doesn't matter because right, the artist can cover exactly for that like in 2D. with with 2d you are you're free from this the sort of constraints of that if you if you want to be. if you want and they all, pretty much everything they do with these clans looks great They've got an entire sequence where they try to show, like, the history of warring between the two clans. Again, unlike a Disney movie, not because it matters to the plot at all. 
just because it's visually fun. Like, they go through all of these old events that occurred, like the Great Mooning or whatever, and they've got <laughs> these little, like, replicas they've built in their museum of, like, people with their butts coming out of windows. <laughs> they have, like, this great montage of, like, going back through the ages of man to, like, <laughs> warring cavemen versions of themselves, right? Uh, and this, it's just, you can tell they just really like art and wanted to make a bunch of fun things for you to look at in this movie, which is kind of what animation's supposed to be like. To me, the I mean, animation is just so amazing. It's like, you're not looking at human faces. You're not looking at anything real. You're looking at drawings, and you're having, like, strong emotional reactions. Yes. And that is absolute magic mm-hmm. to me. There's no crutch of like, oh, we're looking at a person emoting, like an actual human face emoting a certain way, and that's cluing us into how we might feel. It's like there's no, like the, the you are having a very human reaction to an extremely stylized thing that someone drew, and that's just amazing. So I'm trying to think if there's any other things along these lines to point out before moving on to some story structure things. I think they've got issues with in Klaus. Uh, well, before we talk about the issues, yeah, why don't you? Let me just talk you, about what a few. You got? I, I think this movie is also just remarkably clever in a lot of ways because uh, you know it's Christmas month. So just talking about some of the Christmasiness of this movie. Okay, I love how this movie manages to get in so many of the things around the myth of Santa. Okay, um, in in sort of creative, funny ways. Like it gets everything in there. It gets the coming down the chimney. It it gets the flying reindeer, the coal, the coal. Um, it it's so and it's you don't see them coming a lot of the time. Like it kind of finds its way to those in these clever ways, and I that's just really satisfying. I I guess I maybe am fifty fifty with you on that. Okay. So one of the things that we'll get to when we talk about issues is maybe unpacking this a little bit more. But I actually wasn't that enamored with that stuff. And one of the reasons is just because it's sort of thrown in there very in a very incidental way. They're kind of like they're they're almost like a Christmas fan service might be the way to, sure, to liken sure. it, right? Like it's sort of like just a, this little thing where you see like, oh, ha ha, I know what Santa is, so that's you know. I don't dislike those parts, but they felt a lot of them just kind of felt bolted on. I would have liked maybe some of those to have had a little bit more teeth to them. A little bit more buildup. I don't know. So instead of feeling like myth-making, which is what they're supposed to be, right, they just kind of felt like stuff that I don't really know would have stuck like that. It just, I, mean, I don't know. It didn't, I, I it didn't quite land the way, for me, in a way that I would point it out. I didn't mind it, but it seemed to land better for you, I guess. Yeah, me. I mean, I think the way you describe it as Christmas fan service is probably, like, the most accurate way it yeah. could be described. But that just, fan service can work, and so it worked for me. I just liked... I liked all the things they kind of managed to explain. It's just, they're fun. They're fun little things, and they got so many of them in there. I think what would have worked for me is if you could have had some of the fan service Christmas stuff, but I think if the plot had hinged on one of those, at least one of those was crucial or integral to the resolution of the movie, maybe I would have bought the whole set more. But the fact that, like, they're all incidental to the plot. Felt weird to me. Like, they're all, because they were all fan service, 
it, it just diminished it a little bit. I guess. I mean, I, I think I don't probably agree um, just because I think what the emotional sort of core of the movie is doing is working really well. And for me, the, the Christmas part of it is kind of just fun. Like it's a fun add on thing. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. I've never I haven't seen what the version of the movie is that has those being more integral to the plot. Well, again, and this is because I think there are other issues with the movie. And I think the that actually ties in with it, as I said, I'll unpack later. Okay. I think not. Well, not why don't you just me- get just get into it. OK, so my primary problem with this movie is that it has a lot of issues with like timing and or I don't know if I want to say gravitas. I'm not sure what the right word is, but stakes and timing. This movie seems to have a lot of problems to me. Okay. And the reason for that is that by the time you get to this supposed part of the movie that's supposed to be like the big ending of the film, like none of it works for me. I love the movie pretty much up to that point Mm -hmm. and then it just feels a extremely implausible emotionally implausible yeah uh, a and so so not just implausible like because if it was physically implausible that's fine that's what this movie is about all kinds of crazy animation all that stuff so it's like i don't need it to be physically plausible right um but emotionally implausible. And for a movie like this that's so much about this emotional core that's sustaining the movie, it's really why you're watching beyond the visuals, mm-hmm. why you're paying attention to what's actually happening instead of just going, oh, that looks cool, is the emotional core of this movie. And it really falls apart uh, roughly at the part where Jasper's dad returns. Yes. Yeah, because I think um, this part feels hollow because it just, like the reaction. It's not believable. Yeah, th- because I think, like, on paper, I understand what this plot point's supposed to be, right? Right. But after everything that's happened and everything you've seen, you really just don't buy that Klaus and uh, Alma, I think her name is? Yes. Um, you really just don't buy that they would have this reaction uh, to it being revealed that... I mean, in fact, it's like Alma already kind of went through this exact thing. Like, she would probably be sympathetic. Like, it's obvious that Jasper cares a lot, and he's not just using them anymore. Much like Alma was also just wanted to get out and, and had ulterior motives before and now has had a change of heart. And same with Klaus. that He's also had a change of heart. So it's like, it's not really plausible that they wouldn't somehow believe that Jasper hasn't had a change of heart since when he first arrived. 100% agree with all of that. And I would also add the fact that the motivation for the villains or their belief about what would happen uh, or how this is at all going to result in some kind of finality don't make any sense either. There's not really any reason for them to believe that the toy maker uh, and the teacher and all of the the people from the like the the ice fields. I don't know who those people. Just some, I guess, were. some indigenous people. They must have been uh, who 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 live out in the snow, um, the snowfields. And there's no reason to believe that without the postman, the other people wouldn't continue delivering presents to the children. There's no reason for them to believe that somehow not having presents anymore would actually prevent them from continuing to get along. It's just a total random shot in the dark for them, yet they seem very certain about it. Uh, There's not a lot of obvious reason why other townspeople might not have gotten very mad about this. um, Once they found out, it's just it, it it's obviously like an on paper ending that really doesn't live up to the quality of the construction of the rest of the film. Yeah, I totally agree. And so to me, the reason that I lump in the Christmas fan service with this is that 
I feel like this is a movie about Christmas. This is a movie about the origin of Santa Claus and a perhaps lie, but a fun one about the meaning of Santa Claus or the value of Santa Claus, right? A lie is fine. It's fiction. So Mm -hmm. maybe it's not true, but it's a fun thing to imagine was true. And the climax needs to have some thought put into it. It needs to figure out why is this climax about Christmas? Why is this climax about Santa Claus? Why is this climax about these people we have now started to care about because the rest of the movie was constructed very well and has us emotionally invested in their future and what they're doing. And I feel like part of the problem, the reason we get to this scene and none of it works out, is because they haven't thought through what the stakes are for all these other parts of the movie, including the Christmas fan service. I think if they had gone back and said, how does this all build to something that crystallizes everything we've been saying in this movie into one final thing, that would have made this not just a good movie, but like a great movie. Like it would have been like, this is pretty much perfect. This like, this is how you do everything. Right. Yeah. And because they didn't do that, the movie really falls apart it 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 ends up living in our our fight club pantheon of <laughs> movies that are like absolutely perfect up till like the 10 minute mark away from the end and it's like uh <laughs> yeah it's very very much like fight club in that way where it kind of like loses its ability to say anything or to support what it's been saying yeah. um i don't think it completely fails like the the actual like climax of the movie i don't think is great um, like there's like the whole action scene and stuff, which just feels like sometimes animated movies have this feeling where they're like, it's almost as like they felt like they had an obligation to do certain thing. Like they have to have an action scene mm-hmm, at the ending mm-hmm. because that's what kids movies do mm-hmm. or something. And I think this movie is a great example of that where you have this big, big action scene, like sledding down the hill or whatever. And there's nothing like wrong with the scene as it is, but it's just like, it feels off for this movie to some extent, especially because it's been so emotional throughout right it's a it, like the things that are working so well in this movie are these like intimate character things and then you just have a climax that's just like just a stupid sledding down a hill thing and it's just to me that's just a huge letdown and it, and it feels very anticlimactic it also again timing issues this movie puts way too much of the important decisions that characters make and the important emotional moments have already happened even right up to the climax they keep doing this you end up in a situation where the interesting part about what a clim- what would be a climax this movie is the audience not knowing if Jesper is going to commit to being a good person or if he's going to go back to being just like a rich loser, right? We already know. He makes the decision before the climax even begins. So we just end up in this situation where we're not even the emotions have already been resolved. We already know that the character makes the right decision. That's so uninteresting, right? A climax, we have to be unsure about whether the key players will make the right decision or the wrong decision, right? Mm-hmm. Or even what decision they will make. Maybe we don't even know what the possible decisions are, right? Mm-hmm. That's what makes a truly great climax. Think about your classic Star Wars. Will Han Solo come back or not? Mm-hmm. Will, will Luke Skywalker give into the dark side or not? We are into these climaxes because there is a decision we don't know will be made 
or that we don't know how it will be made. And it comes as a surprise or a relief to us when we see which one is being made, right? Yeah. I always go back to the Han Solo one because it's such a great example. Yes, classic. It's the classic example of like, we thought this character made the wrong decision and we all were kind of disappointed. People can't remember this because they've seen Star Wars so many times they forget. It's brilliant. But but this guy who is like, it's it's the Jesper ending that they wanted, that they should have had. We think this guy who we thought had become a good guy is really still a bad guy mm-hmm. at heart. But then it turns out he's not. Brilliant, yeah. right? Yeah. In this movie, they're trying to do that, but they screw it up. I think it's they don't also, know how to do it. I also think it's like, yeah, by that point in the movie, it's so clear that Jesper. Yes. Like, it doesn't even make sense that he would have, like, gone with his dad because he's so. He's so bought in. He's so bought in. He made in. the little sleigh, there's, like you said. There's no question that he, he wants to stay. And so I think, yeah, it just it, it ends up being a pretty hollow ending to a really emotional movie in other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, like, you know, there are, there are scenes at the end that I do really like. Um, the scene where Klaus sort of walks into the woods. I love the, um, mm-hmm. the, the wind, like, as his wife yes. is just beautiful. It's great. Um, <laughs> we'll edit out this batch of tears as well. The metaphor of like his wife is is the wind, so she's still with him, and she tries to like help him at multiple points in the movie. <laughs> 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 yes, it's very emotional. It's really great. Like it's like it's she's still she's still with him, and it's hard and to she's show guiding that. Him. Yes, it's hard to show because if you think about it. That is a thing that's really happening in the real world. People who have died are still with you in a sense that they are – the memory of them may lead you to do things because you're thinking about what they would have wanted. It's very hard to show that in a film if you have a character who's not very expressive. He's not going to just be like saying all the time. Right, right, right. right. Unless, again, it's in a Disney movie and it sucks. He's not going to be saying all the time, I did this because my dead wife would have wanted it. Right, right. right. Um, He's going to say that very sparingly. So in a lot of these scenes, before we find that out and before he's comfortable enough to ever say something like that, we show that by using the wind to communicate that real thing in an unreal way. Beautifully done. Looks gorgeous. In this yes. movie, they have this yes. lovely animation of the wind. It's like a special effect they do. And, uh, yeah, the, the ending works perfectly with Klaus. Yeah, and so when he, when he you know... Yeah, walks goes, into the wind. Yeah, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and so is when, um, when Jesper sits down in front of the fireplace. Yes. For the end of the movie. Also perfect. Yep. It's just the part between. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's like... 15 minutes or something yeah. in between those two parts where they start the climax and end the climax. Yeah. They just couldn't figure it out. And it's a bummer because yeah. it really does feel completely hollow to the point where it's almost ridiculously hollow. Not only do I not care about anything that's happening in there, but the characters don't care because it turns out that none of the things they were trying to save were <laughs> yeah. presents anyway. Well, it's, it, Literally this... no one cares about this even in the film. It's also weird because there's this like, once again, like written on paper kind of thing where I think the idea was that Jesper doing this like is 
what like earns him his like trust again like klaus says something you know, like it seems like okay now that you've done this thing you've like tried to save all these toys you've proved that you actually care Right, like that's sort of he does. He hands him his hat back and says something like, "Well, not for nothing." He implies he implies that okay, we trust you now because you did all this, and that just feels like off too. Like it, it doesn't, it just doesn't feel right. It, it doesn't. It feels it, like you don't really trust your friend after everything he's done. And like the other weird part about this whole thing is that like there's a certain level of do gooding that at some point you wouldn't care anymore if someone was doing it for money like if it turned right, or, or whatever right. like if it turned out Jesper really was just doing it to mail the letters who cares at that point i mean he reformed this entire town and turned it into a, a beautiful place out of nothing out of a horrible cesspool if it turned out he was just doing it to mail letters who cares like he's changed all these people's lives the idea that you wouldn't find it in your heart to forgive someone like that who had done so much good for the wrong reason, who cares? Like, at some point it starts to feel fake even on that level because you're just like, I don't know. But then, like you said, it's like he's done other things that were obviously just out of the good of his heart he didn't need to do. The actual moment in this movie that that is Jesper caring is like the, the moment where he starts, he wants to build the sled. Yes. Like, to me, that's the... That's the moment where Jesper actually proves that he cares. Exactly. He's already proved like halfway through the movie that he cares. Oh, that oh, dude, that's the fix. Okay. That's the fix for this film. Is you just hopscotch that over the rest of the movie. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what you do is you make it so that basically like the people find out about the fact that he was just doing this to mail the letters, right? And so Jesper is ostracized uh, from, you know, Alma and mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so Klaus. He, so he tries to go make... No, no, no. He doesn't try anything. <laughs> He's just, like, sitting at home, right, and bummed. And then so he, like, figures, uh, I'll just leave, mm-hmm. you know, like I was going to do anyway. Everyone hates me here now. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Opens the door. And that little girl's sitting there, right? Yep. And he's like, all right, fine. Right. And he takes her in and he starts to try to communicate with her. It's like, what what do you want? Right. And and like she draws out the sled or something. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's not going to build it for me. So I guess I'll start trying mm-hmm. to build it myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's almost like out of spite that he's doing it. But then he kind of starts to realize that he actually is doing it for real. Mm-hmm. He's like, I don't need this because there's like I already mailed the letters. And that's when we have Klaus see him through the window, yeah. starts to realize, is like, oh my God, like this guy's actually in it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That would have been a much better turnaround for this character because like you said, it's the first time he does something. That would have, we, we could have moved that up. And it's it's like, it's literally the scene that they're going for already happened. It's like, yes. Klaus is mad at him, kicked him out, uh, comes back down to kind of forgive yes. him and sees proof that he actually cares when yeah. he's not trying to prove anything. He's asleep, in fact, but he can see that he's been trying. And, like, that's the scene. It's already in the movie. It already happened. Um, and so it just, it it's hollow when they try to do it again in a time, like you say, the timing is off. Like, they try to just do that same thing again, but more extreme, and it just doesn't make any sense. I think you probably still need more stuff for the climax, there's a lot of things you could have done. One of the things I think would have been great is if um, – so so the thing uh, 
Yeah. You know what? I thought about this the first time I watched this movie. I forgot about it this time, but I do think it actually would have been much better. Um, what they do for the elves, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really like. Okay. I. Uh, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so there's these people living kind of on the ice fields, and they have outfits that are, like, different than the townspeople. They're more lavish. Mm-hmm. So that's, like, the elf thing because it's like, oh, the elves, you know, I guess in Christmas we kind of think of elves as being dressed up weird. Mm-hmm. Like, they've got much well, more fancy outfits. And then, it, and then they, give him an out- they give Klaus an outfit, which is, like, the, uh, it's right. a pretty, it's like kind of a nicer outfit than the sort of stereotypical Santa outfit. But it's, like, you can see where that would be, like, how the myth began, right? And, you know, it's fine, but it's just yet another Christmas fan service. And at this point, we've had several. So it's like, it's like, all right, it's fine, but I don't really get a whole lot out of that, right? What I think I would have liked is a more It's a Wonderful Life ending for this movie. I would have liked it's like the toys do get destroyed. Like, the okay, so the bad guys team up and they do just, they destroy the toys, right? Mm-hmm. And we think Christmas is, is ruined. Yeah. But the townspeople... Oh, this is a better. Come ending. to help. This is a better ending, right? Yeah. They think they think it's over, uh, and, and they like, you know, maybe that workshop is a little bit more easy to access, or there's a reason why the townspeople would know where it was. We set that up a little bit earlier, and so Klaus and Jasper are like, "Well, it's over," and they so they go into town to tell people, and no one's there, or something like this, or or maybe they they've already told people, or something mm-hmm. like that. I don't know how you work that exactly. I'm sure I could figure it out if I had a few hours, but. And then there's this shot of them going back to the workshop and everyone's there. And they're mm-hmm. like, what do we do? Yeah. That would have been an amazing yeah, moment. Yeah, because especially right? when they're talking about later on, it like expands to other villages and the word goes around. Yeah. And it's like, it's almost like these people thanking them, the, their way of thanking them for like fixing the town is like. And it's also more true about Christmas because it is in real Christmas. I'm And spoiler well, and, and it alert. goes with the whole thing, the theme of the movie that they keep saying, which is like one act of one yes. selfless act begets another, basically. Yes. And so I think one of the problems is, like, they, they just ignored that fact. It's a more true thing about Christmas. Parents are the ones responsible for getting the, the toys mm-hmm. for their children, mm-hmm. um, or the town is the one responsible for getting the toys for their children, not an abstract mythical being. And so it would actually solidify the Christmas myth better than what they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do think you're totally right, though, the idea that the townspeople— um, would be the ones who would sort of become the elves. Feels like it's this really full circle kind of thing. Well, it's more emotionally impactful too because we we only really get that in a montage, like that the townspeople are starting to be nice to each other again, mm-hmm. and we see their little like they have a little like festival or not? It's like a night market thing. I don't really know what it is, but it's like the town square has been reformed or whatever, which is great. But I think we could have done a lot more with that because it's like that should have really been crucial to the climax the fact that he had changed these people's minds about how their town should work should have been the thing that saves mm-hmm. the day at the end because it, it is the important part yeah right and it literally fits the theme that the character exactly. states way more correct than the like he says it at the end of the at the climax he's like one good act doesn't man. work and, and then it's like the only thing that happened was the two, like, big kids from each family are, like, now in love. Yeah. And it's like it doesn't fit at all with what he what he's saying is not what happened. And, and yeah, if, if you had had the village come together and, and pay him back, help him, you know, pay him back for all the good deeds he's done for them, that feels way more thematically on point. 
Whatever the details would be, I do think the general idea that the town becomes the elves, the town is, yes, is sort of... they got to turn... They have to turn... The town has to turn good in the climax. Uh, yeah, which they sort of like have to kind of because they have that the small little group of them but it just it doesn't it doesn't come together it doesn't work i mean we could we could sit here and be script doctors for this or whatever yeah, try, right. try to be all I'm day always it tempted. i know when you have a movie that's so close i'm always tempted i'm just like i, I just want one more draft i know i just want hard. that one more draft it's hard it's always easy to say it would just be like change one thing or this but it's like well it's never change one thing but you know, you know what i'm saying are, it's close yeah it's hard but i do think this movie is great it really nails some some emotional beats. It's just a lovely movie. It's one of my favorite, or perhaps my favorite, movie about literal Christmas, meaning that it's like the the topic is how Christmas started or whatever. Like yeah. I don't know what you want to call that. Like, There's a lot of movies that are in that realm, right? Like they are kind of doing that thing. And uh, this is, I would agree, like this is probably the best that I'm aware of. Because like Die Hard, for example, probably my favorite Christmas movie, meaning a movie that Mm -hmm. has Christmas in it. Right. But Die Hard is not about how like Santa Claus, like it's not about (laughs) Christmas in that way, right? Right, right, right. Where it's like similar to like what Home Alone or those sorts of things. They're not about Christmas. They are just the, they are set at Christmas when the trappings are Christmas E. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie is overtly about Christmas. It is like the idea of Christmas is the subject of this film, yeah. right? I mean, um, it's the origin of Santa Claus. The origin of Santa Claus, why we have these various traditions, whatever. It's like a retcon for that, mm-hmm. uh, right? It's like a here's how we're imagining this would have started or something. So of those things, you've got, you know, like you know, like your Frosty the Snowman's and your Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, you know, stop motion oh, those, stuff I love or whatever. Those things, you got those things. Yeah. All that stuff. <laughs> There's a ton of movies like this that are, you know, overtly just it's Christmas. Or you even got like your Tim Allen, the Santa Claus. The Santa and... Claus, all that stuff. I'm hard pressed to name one of those that I think is any good. Um, this is actually just a good movie. Uh, and so it's probably my favorite, like, overt Christmas movie because I can't think of another one I, I even mean, like. I mean, I don't cry during most Christmas movies. No. And I, we were both, I think, tearing up a bit talking about this movie. Yeah, um, it's, it's extremely good. It's really, really, really good at, um, at, at those emotional beats. So Very, very touching. Yeah, I mean, I really hope you guys enjoyed watching it. Be curious if you had the same sort of emotional response to it or certain scenes in it anyway that we did. But yeah. I, I think class is fantastic. James Baxter. James Baxter is a credited animator. On he is because he, yeah. he works at Netflix. Actually. I believe he's like in charge, kind of, of the Netflix animation. I, I don't really know the specifics. I just know he's there now. I think he's like one of the in charge people. <laughs> yeah. And for those of you who don't know who James Baxter is, he's basically like the only animator that I can think of in the history of time who somehow is able to draw shots animated with three-dimensional camera moves that appear to be perfect. It's uncanny. It's insane. Uh, you can go, you go look, look at, at his, If you go yeah. on YouTube, he has a reel up there. He's done some of the, I mean, some stuff you'll recognize from Disney movies, the classic uh, Beauty and the Beast ballroom, yep, ballroom scene where the camera moves down and um, there's an amazing shot uh, from Hunchback of Notre Dame where yep. he carries Esmeralda up and holds her above yeah. his head and it's like this 360 camera turn yeah. thing. It, it's, he's insane. When they started having 
three D uh, background support in mm-hmm. Disney films. Obviously, they still do hand painted for most stuff, but they would have these three D ones. The ballroom scene in Beauty and the Beast being the most notable example. There were earlier ones. The the clock. Uh, I think the first one they did was the clockwork scene in Great Mouse Detective. Mm-hmm. Um, but they started doing these ones where they had three D, so they could do camera moves. But the question is, then what do you do with the cell animated characters? And the answer for a very long time was you just asked James Baxter to do it. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Like every single one of them that's that did this is like, well, James Baxter you did it. You can always tell when it's a shot that he did. It's like the the precision is insane. It's I, I absolutely mind-blowing. It looks like a computer probably did it, mm-hmm. but it didn't. Yeah. It just go 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 watch a bunch of his animation on YouTube. You'll be yeah. your mind will be blown if you haven't if you haven't gone down yeah. the James Baxter rabbit hole. Yeah. Nobody knows how this happens and I don't know anyone else who can do it. So it's just like it's just James Baxter or something. Yeah. Uh so anyway, yeah, James Baxter, we don't know what he drew on this, but he's he's in the credits uh, mm-hmm. as an additional animator. So he he jumped in for something, which is fun. I think he was credited for the for Jesper. Anyway, all right. Well, I think that's it for for this episode. Next week is the last movie um, of our Christmas month. It's going to be Home Alone, and then after that, the week after that, uh, we're going to do a live, another live stream on Twitch, another watch party. I guess we'll probably do a post at some point in the next week or two about some movie ideas for that. They don't necessarily have to be Christmas themed. They can kind of be whatever. They just have to be available on Amazon Prime. And it seemed like last time, although we don't really know, that if you can watch a movie for free on Amazon Prime with a Amazon Right, it has to be free. Prime subscription. Yeah, on Prime. If you can watch it for free on Amazon Prime, then it appears that we can use the watch party feature for that. Right. So and if you, we if, cannot do it for a paid movie, as far as we can tell. Right, it have to be free on Prime. <clears throat> so anyway, if you have any ideas or thoughts for that, you can comment with those. Uh, we'll also probably do a post about it in in yeah. the next week or two, where you can comment any suggestions. Uh, if not, that's fine. We'll we'll pick something um, on stream. But yeah, so looking forward to that. So yeah, we'll see you next week for Home Alone. Sounds good. Bye.